welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest all the way over on the East Coast, George Siegel. He began his career as a newscaster, sportscaster, and weathercaster in major markets across the U.S. He later transitioned to feature reporting and production. Then in 2001, he founded JEL Productions, a video production company specializing in commercials, infomercials, TV programs, and documentaries. His latest venture, Move the World Films, Inc., focuses on documentary filmmaking. And George has received awards for films like The Last House Standing and Licensed to Parent. He is also the host of Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. George, along with his wife, Nancy, and children, resides in Tampa, Florida. George, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I make mini films, not nearly as cool as you on my fishing channel, as you know. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on here because, number one, you're an entrepreneur. And number two, we're going to talk about buildings and the film relating to the buildings. So before we get into what you do and on that first topic, tell us about your entrepreneurship journey. You know, are you from a family of entrepreneurs? Where does that spirit come from? Well, it comes from my dad, who uh, was working for IBM when I was a kid, and he thought they were underpaying him and not appreciating him, and he went out and started his own businesses. He started uh, getting into the radio and TV business, buying stations, and when he left, they had to hire two people to replace him, mm. so they could have just given him a little more money and probably kept him happy, but he was always one of those guys that just said, I want to go out and really do something. And I, I got that from him. He just never sat around. He was always trying to do something else. And I, I really admired that. Beautiful. Uh, let's move into where people, you know, the, the topic of where people decide to live. And this relates to them being affected by a disaster and then pivoting over to maybe they, they choose to live in a safer place. What do you think, though, is the biggest mistake people are making when they choose where they where they choose to live? I think they are looking strictly at how nice it'll be to live there and how fun it'll be to live there. Or in some cases, maybe family lives there and they have to be in that area. But I think they, they make a choice, but they don't really understand the ramifications of that choice. They don't understand the risks involved. So you see a nice community out in the woods and you go, this is great. I love being in the woods. But you don't ever assess the fact that how would I get out of there if there was a fire? How fireproof is my house? What's the plan for this community if there was a fire? Most people don't think about that. And now that I live in Florida, you know, we moved here in 2017, um, we deal with hurricanes all the time and the fear of hurricanes. And you see houses that are destroyed every year because they weren't built to survive hurricanes. They're older homes and newer homes that are built cheaply. So it's all kind of comes together for me with a passion to say, wake up, people, understand where you live and what the risks are, because you could lose everything. Yeah, 100 percent in a flash. Uh, so on that note, then about, you know, so moving into the when people are struck by disasters, for instance, uh, we just had the Marshall wildfire victims and most of them are rebuilt in Colorado. Now, it was a crazy fire that w is totally out of whack in terms of like the timing of it because it happened around January. But um, we saw folks make the, the sort of pivot in two different ways. They either did exactly what my next question is, which is. When people are struck by disaster, they seem to want to just build, rebuild where they were. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. 
Um, and then the other half was like, nope, I'm out of here. And and honestly, a lot of the insurance part of it with the high increase of valuation versus what they would get, just financially, it was like, we can't, even if we wanted to rebuild here, we we can't. So to the first people, why do you think they're so quick to want to rebuild in the, the location, the same location? You know, that's one of the things that drives me to want to wake people up because when I was in the news media every year, we would do stories about people that lived along the Mississippi. And when the Mississippi would rise because of the, the snow melt and, and rain in the spring, people would get flooded, the same people every year. And they would always have such resolve and say, I'm going to rebuild. This is our home. We love it here. And I would say, that's insane. You now know that's going to flood. So how are you rebuilding? What are you doing that's going to make this a different situation for you so it doesn't keep happening? Well, insurance, unfortunately, or fortunately, is going to make that easier for us because they're leaving areas where they're having to pay out too many claims. They don't like to pay out claims. Mm -hmm. So if you can't get insurance and you can't insure what you have in that risky area, maybe people will stop living there. When you when you made the film, The Last House, what, what are some surprising things you heard from victims that you weren't expecting? Well, probably the most surprising was how, un, how, how they never thought it would happen to them. Mm. So they weren't really prepared. So the people that lived in uh, Panama City and Mexico Beach they had this beautiful, quaint beach community where they figured we're, you know, this has been, we haven't been hit by a major hurricane for years. We're going to be okay. And then the people we talked to in Malibu, California, the ones that had to flee because the fire was, was uh, right outside their door, they didn't take things with them that you could never replace. So people lost things like yearbooks, uh, baby shoes, pictures of their parents. One 90-year-old gentleman lost his teddy bear that he had saved since he was a kid. You can't replace those things. So people are so unprepared and they don't think it's going to happen. And then you lose things that you that insurance can't replace. And it, it's life altering. Uh, even though you might be able to rebuild eventually, you've lost things that were a foundation of maybe your family and your history of your family. You never get those back. Yeah. Do you think that's part of the emotional pull to just try to rebuild where they're at? Because they're at least trying to just hold on to that, even though they lost it. I think so. I think that, you know, I, I think that's the resolve that most people have. It's like, wow, I love it here. We're going to rebuild. You know, some places in some countries, they don't let you make that choice if it's a dangerous area and they know that that danger has been exposed. Now in this country, a lot of times, if you want to get FEMA assistance, you have to build back differently. You have to build to a different standard to survive that disaster. But a lot of people who may not benefit from that, maybe just rebuild their house the way it was. We've had houses in our neighborhood here in Tampa that have flooded. And all they did was remodel them and put them back. And a couple of them just flooded again in the last hurricane that, that didn't even really hit us directly. We had three or four houses in the neighborhood that, that flooded. So you just never know when it's going to come from. But w when it does, it can set people back forever. It can, it can wipe you out financially. And, and some people never recover from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. We kind of already touched on cost about the insurance. It's like this struggle with the insurance. I mean, it was crazy. We had some clients come in the office where they were like, we can't believe the insurance company is paying paying out in the way they are. Like, we're going to be able to rebuild even better. But there was, first, I mean, mind-blowing to me. But that was the minority. The mo the majority is like everybody's dealt with insurance. It's always it's it seems like it's always a struggle sort of thing. Uh, so, um, but then, you know, there's this cost versus safety. So what do you think, why do you think some people are choosing the extra cost over safety when they decide to rebuild? 
maybe their risk tolerance is much higher. You know, I, I, mine has gotten lower every time we just get missed <laughs> by a hurricane here because I go, this is like playing Russian roulette. You know, you may have only one bullet in the chamber, but eventually if you keep clicking, you're going to, you're going to blow your head off. And that's the way I feel about hurricanes. I think a lot of people just aren't that worried about it. They, they didn't, didn't prepare. I mean, the story of the three little pigs to me is the best example of disaster preparation because what happened to the first two, they ended up running over to the third pig's house because he was the one that prepared. And that's kind of human nature. Most people don't prepare. Yeah. On the preparation front, then what are, if people are, people are listening to this, maybe they're in Florida, maybe they're in a wildfire area and they're like, I want to avoid some of the stuff that George talked about already, losing the teddy bear, lo losing that kind of significant stuff. But in a, in a, but part of that is just them being proactive about their houses as they exist. What are some what are some things that you found that people can do right away to make their homes safer? Well, the very first thing they should do is understand their insurance policy because that's your last line of defense. So you, most people have never read their policy. They they candidly admit that when I ask that question and I ask that question to everybody, they've never read it. So if you're not going to read it, have your agent explain it to you because you might not be covered for a wildfire. You might not. You're definitely not covered for a hurricane depending on how that hurricane hits you. Some have exclusions for named storms. Some have, uh, you, none of them cover flooding. So you need to have a separate flood insurance policy. Understand your insurance. Then there's things you can do to make your house safer. There's house hardening things you can do that make your house less likely to burn in a fire. If you live in a hurricane area, have a, an, an inspection of your house to know what your vulnerabilities are and then try to improve them. Now it's a little hard to do that in uh, late September, October, in November, when hurricane season is winding down, those are the things you do during the winter. And if you're in a fire season area, you do them at the time when it's not fire season. So you can attack those projects and do them to make your house safer. And then another thing is have a, it's called a go box hmm. and a list of things you would grab if you were told you had 10 minutes to get out of your house. Because I guarantee you, most people would spend the first nine minutes thinking about what to take and then would leave so many things behind. So if you're important papers, jewelry, family photos, if there's a list in a box, you know, hey, let's mo let's motorize here. Let's go mobilize, get everything done. You grab those things and you go. And then you're that much better off that you took those things with you. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. Like for in Colorado, if people are for our Colorado listeners or anybody in the Rocky Mountain West, you know, the wildfires are our big thing. Sometimes tornadoes. For the wildfire part of it, you can hire a wildfire mitigation expert. And that's one of the biggest things, right, is trying to mitigate just the landscape around what you're doing is, it, you know, clearing brush. And I'm so glad you talked about reexamining insurance. What was it? What was it? It was almost a perfect disaster for these folks in the, in the Marshall wildfire where you had the Fed printing all the money. And then the only thing the real estate assets could do at that time is go up because it was a safe haven. And then the, it, what, what the insurance policies were listed for, it didn't match up. So in the way real estate is still going with prices, it seems like checking in with your insurer once a year should, should be sort of just a personal policy that you, that you tackle from now on. Um, can we, do you believe after doing all of your documentary work, living in Florida, that we could, we can build homes today that can survive? any said disaster in their particular area. Absolutely. And I mean, there's some things you're not going to avoid. If you have a, a EF5 tornado that rolls right over your house, there's probably not any construction that's going to survive a direct hit. But if you're a mile to the left or the right, you're not in the bullseye of it. If your house is built right, if you have a solid garage door, 
if the front door doesn't blow in, if your roof is attached properly, you'll have a lot less damage. We have the technology and there's uh, there's groups, Fortified, um, all kinds of different groups that are out there that are preaching how to build a house safely, whether it's in a flood zone, a fire zone, an earthquake zone, a tornado zone. There's the technology to do it better. But still here in Tampa, I see people building houses with wood on the second floor. I see people in a flood zone that the house floods and they just fix it. They don't do anything to improve it. They don't raise the house. They don't do anything different. If you don't change the way it is, it's just going to, history is going to repeat itself. You've been given a warning. And if you choose to stay there, why would you risk it again? And one of the best examples was during Hurricane Ian last year, I interviewed a gentleman who lived in a neighborhood where there were 20 houses, all 20 houses flooded, all 20 houses had to be rebuilt and they rebuilt them exactly the same way. So if there's another hurricane that hits that area and there's flooding, they're all going to flood again mm -hmm. because they did nothing different. And sometimes it's not even your fault. As you know, as a, as a builder, when a neighborhood is built up, the way the water runs off changes because now there's different things there. So the way mm -hmm. water used to escape your neighborhood might not even be the same now. You might not live in a flood zone, but you could flood because of all the construction around you. And it's very inexpensive if you don't live in a flood zone to get flood insurance. And I would recommend everybody takes a look at that. Yeah, you just described the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, even though we got the warning. I'm sure you were uh, maybe hoping I would say that, uh, and I did. So uh, talk about the cost of that, of this idea, though. Like, I feel like some of these things are that you're suggesting are, for, it, it, for example, just attaching a roof to like a wood roof to your walls and doing hurricane clips and making sure the nailing pattern is is correct and stuff. That's a pretty minimal in the scope of building a million dollar home. That's like a thousand dollars. It's it's not a big deal. I'm sure there's a scale here of like you you cited the example of raising a whole house up. But do you feel like after doing your research that maybe the majority of these proactive things you can do are actually dollar wise really small compared to you know some major stuff you know i'd love to come up with a formula to show people the cost of not doing it mm. because we can say okay it's going to cost you five thousand dollars to make your house safer but your life's going to be disrupted and everything's going to be lost and you're going to be in uh, debt for the next 50 years because you didn't do it and 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 if we could show that number people would go yeah wow if i more if i factor all this into a mortgage that $50,000 more on a million dollar house is worth every penny because my house will still be there. They don't calculate five years of rebuilding and rezoning and, and, and relocating while their house is being rebuilt. They don't calculate the job loss that could happen, the kids not being able to attend school. I mean, there's so many things. Yeah. So why would you not build your house as safe as possible? And you know, we talked about this when you were on my podcast. I think a lot of times we need to hold builders to, to a higher standard. And what happens is we end up rewarding mediocrity. So I'm buying a house that was built 30 years ago, and I really want that house. I really want that neighborhood. So I have an inspection, and I go, yeah, the roof is bad. The electrical probably needs to re be replaced. It needs new plumbing. But I love the house. I'm going to buy it. Eventually, you're going to have to pay to fix those things yeah. because it gets passed along. It doesn't just end. You're the person that's there, and if it breaks on you, you're the one that's going to have to pay for it. And I don't think people think about that. They just think about where they want to be and not how they want to be there. And disruption and disaster 
is life altering. And when you see these stories with people, you don't want that to happen to you. You want to do everything you can to avoid that. Yeah, 100%. So do you have any examples then of where people are building the right way? Um, there was a, a neighborhood, and of course, the neighborhood escapes me, but it's north uh, east of, of where Naples was. And this entire neighborhood was built to survive hurricanes. Now, they're not right on the water, so there's no storm surge problem. They're elevated 30 or 40 feet up. But their entire neighborhood had almost no hurricane damage, and the hurricane right, rolled right over them. So there's a lot of examples in places like Alabama in Texas where there are communities that are built with concrete homes, with uh, uh, Habitat for Humanity, to me, is a great example. In Panama City, the Panama City, uh, uh, the houses that they built survived Hurricane Michael. So a $100,000 house survived while a $500,000 house gets obliterated. And that's because of the detail they put in, extra nails, extra brackets, all the things that are the extra steps to build that house. And those houses make it. They hold up very well. They have metal roofs. So it's just attention to detail mm -hmm. and, and, and doing it right. There's a lot of builders that are doing it the right way. And I wish we would talk about them more and, and put them up on a pedestal because those are the people that are, that are making a difference. The ones that are sloppy and shoddy and just have to read their reviews on Google, they're just passing a problem along and making a fast buck and, and it's costing all of us. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier some, I think I started with an F, fortified or something. So mm -hmm. resources that people, if people are listening to this and they're like, you know what, I'm convinced. I, I want to find, now I want to find, in addition to watching George's great films, I want to find some resources out there that I can educate myself on. What kind of resources could you point them to? If you go to the lasthousestanding.org, which is my film website page, there's a resource page on there that links to all of these places. You can link to FEMA and see the flood zone you might live in. You can find out fortified information and how to build a house safely. There's links to a lot of different groups that build houses that have a standard for building that, that people can get those links on there. And I recommend that they do that. Understand better what you're living in. Have that inspection. And if you're going to buy a house, if you're building a house, I mean, you guys probably talk about this all the time, be on top of it. Know what they're doing. Ask a lot of questions. And if your questions drive them off because you're a pain in the ass, then that's not right for you. Yeah. Don't be quiet hoping you can still get it. Ask what you need to know and demand the best. That's It's your house. You deserve it. Yeah. Ask the, the biggest thing I would say to clients on that note, I'll just piggyback on top of that, is that please, please actually ask your architect or, or builder to walk you through how to actually read the drawings so you can dive into those details and understand. And it's not that there's dumb questions. It's just there's that we understand at homeowners, we understand you don't swim in this water every day. So the questions about the details might seem dumb to you, but we want to, we're happy to educate about that. Um, and then coupled with the resources that George talked about, I think that's the kind of collaboration that really makes the best buildings. The best buildings really come from like that perfect triangle of the architect gives a, a, a gives a big crap, the owner gives a big crap, and the and the builder gives a big crap to to make that work. Yep, and we always said in the news business, no such thing as a dumb question, just dumb answers. You know, ask <laughs> the question. I like to ask questions, and if somebody looks at me like I've been when I'm making a film. And I'm interviewing somebody. Sometimes I'll ask a question, and then they'll look at me like that's the dumbest question in the world. Well, that's fine. Maybe the next one will be a great question. You you, you edit the bad question out, but you want to get as much information as you can because that's what that's your power. That's your knowledge of what you're having built, and and you want to ask 
has this house ever flooded before? You know, here in Florida, realtors and homeowners do not have to disclose to you if a house is flooded before. Yeah. So the houses in my neighborhood that were uh, flooded in the last hurricane, if they fix it up, they could sell it tomorrow. And if nobody knows, they could just pass it on. But if you ask, they have to tell you. So I would ask, what are the hazards that could affect this house? What, how, have you, how have you built this house to deal with those hazards? I have that list on my, um, on my website also, thelasthousestanding.org, questions you should ask your builder. Because just ask. What, what, they roll their eyes. They think you're stupid. So what? At least you've asked the question, and you, hopefully you got an answer, and you'll, hopefully a good answer. And like you said, that's probably a litmus test. Maybe you're asking those questions right away at the beginning. And that is a decision of like, you're interviewing three contractors, for example, and two of them roll their eyes. And one is very enthusiastic about your, about your questions and its attention. That could be the deciding factor. You know, it, it, maybe they're even more expensive, but what's more important than the end? Like you were saying, you can't really put I would a never, dollar I would never it. take low. The three worst words for me in construction are low bid wins because I've had a lot of houses that I've bought where you can walk around and see where the builder made his profit by where he got the crappiest people to do the work, whether it's on the pool, whether it's on the, the landscaping is always a joke. The builder's landscaping package that they put in two bushes and a plant and uh, some crappy grass and call it good. You have to know who they're getting. Did they hire a good electrical company? Who was the plumbing company that did this? We had a toilet leak because the plumber was a moron. He didn't even seal the gasket right. So what happens? The toilet leaks. It leaks through the ceiling down into the first floor because somebody didn't do their job well. Well, that was the builder saving a buck, hiring somebody bad and not watching them, not making sure they did it right, not inspecting their work. Don't let that happen to you. Stay on top of it. 100%. Yeah. Let's move, let's move back to the film. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what was the process like to make The Last House? How long did it take? How, did the, how, 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 do you, how, how does funding work for you? And, and just overall, what was it like making the film? You know, it took a couple of years to do it because if some of the people we had in it were very difficult to get. We got the FEMA director Ooh. to be on the film. And that's almost impossible for a filmmaker to sit down with FEMA because they're always thinking you're going to come at them and try to expose them as the problem. So that was tough. We got a guy named Hank Ovink, who was, a, was the water ambassador from the Netherlands, who President Obama used when he was rebuilding in New Jersey. He came over and consulted. It took a year to get this guy. It was next to impossible. And then we had to have the right disaster happen where we could get access after it, which was Mexico Beach. So it, it's a long process. And, and I had a nonprofit at the time, so we were able to raise the money to make the film. Um, you know, it, I'm working on a film right now where we actually have a business plan that people can make money if the film is successful. But raising money for a film is the biggest challenge. There's so many films out there. There's so many filmmakers out there um, that getting people to invest in your film or donate to your film is very challenging. Mm -hmm. And it's a long process. That can, take, that can be the difference between getting a film done or just having a good idea that you're sitting on because you, you can't afford to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two last questions here as we run up on the half hour, George. Knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I would say having a better understanding of where you're going to get your business. You know, when I started my production company, I'd been on television, so I was able to have some notoriety with some of the, some of the clients I got, so they knew who I was. But it's tough to start a business. So how are you going to make money with that business? Where is that revenue going to come from? A lot of people think they have a great idea. They open a store. People will come. 
they don't just show up. You know, I've seen a, a lot of restaurants that open and they go, they're, well, we're, we're going to advertise once we get busy. Well, how are you going to get busy? People just going to walk in and find you? You know, you have to have a plan, not just because your idea is good, but how you're actually going to share that idea with others and get them to consume it. That's probably the, one of the most important things. Beautiful. George, uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. If people want to, again, learn more about what you do, your films, where can they find and follow you? Well, the best place is for the film is thelasthousestanding.org. You can rent my film on there. It's also available for free on Tubi TV. Um, you can watch it. And it's still on some PBS stations around the country. And then homeownersbeaware.com is my podcast. I recently changed the name to homeownersbeaware.com. And if you go there, we're putting new resources on there for homeowners. There's all kinds of uh, interviews with experts. You were featured in one of the uh, episodes talking about how you design a house, how you then take that plan and build a house. And there's just a lot of great information on there. I hope people will check it out. Yeah, I hope they will too. George, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate you uh, being on the show today. Thanks for having me on.